Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Our topic today is a Steps 8 and 9 panel. Welcome, everybody. Today is Sunday, February 17, 2013. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator for the morning. The 12 steps of recovery put us back together the way God intended us to be. Steps 1 through 3 put you in the right relationship with your higher power, a relationship where now your higher power, not you, is to be the director. Steps 4 through 7 put you in the right relationship with yourself. That brings you to steps 8 and 9, our topic of this discussion this morning. Steps 8 and 9, both of which give you an opportunity to live in harmony with your fellow human beings. There's no way God can control our minds when our minds are being dominated by something that occurred in the past. Our only way to get rid of these blocks is to clear them up. And this is the process of steps 8 and 9. Step 8 made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step 9 made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. These steps are the last hurdle of getting rid of the guilt and remorse we have over things we've done in the past. And these steps give you the chance to set things right with other people and to get rid of the fear, guilt, remorse, and shame that you might have felt in the past. Here to share their experience with steps eight and nine are three recovered compulsive overeaters. We have Sharon R.S. from Minnesota, Rick B. from Massachusetts, and Jan P. also resides in Minnesota. They'll be sharing their experience with us this morning. And let's start off with Sharon R.S., please. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Sharon R.S., and I'm very grateful to be on the line with you this morning. I, uh, looking at uh, steps six and seven, which we've just finished, we've already, we've looked at, uh, we've become ready to have our defects of character removed. Step seven, we've asked God to remove them. So now we know we have these defects of character. Now in step eight, we we start remedying the the repercussions of these defects. We make a list of all the people that we've harmed. We want to clear away the wreckage of our past. And we make a list. And, and the thing in step eight that we have to be very careful of, because step eight and nine are, are kind of like step four. People just can get into step four and get stuck. I've known people that just can't, years and years and years, they're on step four. It just blocks them, and they and for some reason it it uh, they have a difficult time getting through step four. Step eight and nine can be the same thing. People get into step eight, and all of a sudden they're thinking about step nine. They're thinking about all of the amends that they have to make, but that is not what step eight says. Step eight says we make a list of all people we have harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. So it's, it's similar to step six, where you're just getting ready 
you're you're not physically going out and doing anything. So that we really have to be very careful when we come to step eight that we just do step eight and we don't try to start doing step nine. So sticking with step eight, we just make a list. You just make a list. You're not even, when you first start off, you're not even becoming willing. Made a list. So when you come to step eight, all you do is you know you have these defects of character that you've admitted to. You've become willing to get rid of them. Now you are, are looking at how have, who has these defects of character impacted and what has been the, the implications, who, what, not just what people, but the same, what institutions, what uh, I've affected marriage, I've affected my community, I've affected, uh, I'm, I'm basically haven't been living the role that God has for me. And then, so first of all, we make that list. And I want to direct us to page 68 where it says perhaps there is a better way. So now we're, we're, we're moving into a better way of living. We think so, for we are now on a different basis. So when we enter step eight and begin to make that list, which is that surrender, that acceptance, that the way I used to live my life is not effective. It's not truly who I am. It's not who I want to be. I don't want to go through life hurting people. And here's the list of the people and the harm that I have done in the past. And so it says, for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? Wow. That's what we're going to get by working steps eight and nine. And as we approach these steps, what it tells us, what we, what it tells us here in the big book, it says, Faith without works is dead. So now we're going to do some work. The first work is is really the easy but the humble thing. It's just writing that list. I want you to know that when I was writing my list, I had the people that were closest to me that I had blindly hurt. I didn't want to hurt them, but I had done harm. The other thing that was on my list is I realized that I had done a great harm, not only to others, other individuals, but to my community as a whole, because God had given me certain gifts. God had called on me to play a certain role in life. I recognized it. I had, I had, and, and I humbly, I, I, I don't want to say humbly, but I sincerely say to you that in my younger years, it was very obvious that I had a particular gift, a gift 
for working with people, a gift for organizing, a gift for seeing the big picture and then being able to implement a plan. I had a gift, a talent that was almost magical. And people would talk about it and they would say, oh, look what Sharon, look what you've done. And I was doing remarkable things at a very young age. But life became difficult and certain things happened and I felt like the world, I didn't like the way the world was going. I didn't like what people in leadership I didn't, were doing. I didn't like the fact that I didn't feel, feel welcome in certain situations, that people didn't want me. So I literally decided that I was going to divorce myself from doing any, trying to do any big thing because they didn't want me. I was just going to live for myself. And um, I'm on this line because of where that got me. Because I am a person I found out through my steps four and five, and then when I hit six and seven and was looking at my defects of character, I had to accept that I had really made this decision to live by self-will. And on page 76, it tells you exactly the type of person that I was. I, when I took that inventory, when I made that drastic self-appraisal in the uh, third paragraph, I, had, um, I found out that my effort to live on self-will and run the show myself See, I made that decision, whereas we recognize that a life of, of uh, uh, sane and happy usefulness is what we get when we live according to God. But when we live a life run on self-will, when we make a decision that this is, I, I can't live in the world because the world is not doing things my way. What you get is the hell that uh, maybe I'll have another opportunity to tell you, but but believe me, I was living in a hell. My body was falling apart. I was eating myself into such a destruction, I could not even work. I couldn't even work to make the money that I needed for my own self to live, even though I I had made a decision I was going to live for myself. I thought I could live happy just isolating myself from the world. And I realized that that didn't work for me. It didn't work, that effort to live on self-will. Now I came to a point where I was at step eight and step nine, and I made that list, and I found out that I was living that I had to do something different. I had to surrender to God, that I was no longer running the show, that my way was hell. And I had to surrender humbly. I had to humbly say that whatever God wanted me to do, Whatever life God had for me, that was what I was willing to do. 
So I wrote that on my list, every name, every person, my community, the work, I accepted that. And I had to also recognize that I had agreed to go to any length for victory over my food addiction. Even admitting all this harm, it wasn't easy, but we do it because we want to recover. Because the, the, the difficulty of working the steps is far easier than the hell of living in addiction. The difficulty of admitting that I, by my own hand, was destroying myself, that my way in all my smartness and intelligence had gotten me nowhere but backwards and into hell. So I took a deep breath, and I just one secret that I can tell you, if you have difficulty with eight and nine, is breathing. Because I realize that I don't, when I stop breathing and I get into fear, one way I can know that I can move through that is to just make sure I'm breathing deeply, just to focus on my breath. This is, this is, this is an aside. This is a little trick that has worked for me in all of these steps and all of this working is to breathe, to make sure that I breathe because I can't breathe deeply and have fear at the same time. So I breathe, write, this, write down those harms without worrying about the amends, and then I go into making the amends. And I, made the, I wrote down those amends, and I didn't, try, I didn't try to do this on my own. I worked with my sponsor, taking one at a time, talking it through, writing out what I would say, what I would do, and then talking it over. And then my sponsor would say, maybe this was above me. She would say, go talk to a few other sponsors and then let's talk this through and rewrite that. That doesn't sound, rewrite it. And we worked it through together. I never did an amends without talking it through and working it through with my sponsor and my fellows. And then I would make that amends. And then the big one, the harm that I had done my community. I then, I then uh, began to work in the program, in, in my uh, volunteering, in inner group, giving back in a bigger way than myself, surrendering in the rooms of OA, in leadership, in, in being a part of intergroup. And I learned in intergroup the things that I had lost by making that decision on my own to not trust God, to not trust humanity and life, and to retreat into the fantasy world of self. And I began to work with my fellows, and I allowed myself to be taught through them and to listen and to continue to work the steps as I lived life on life's terms and did the hard work of working in community with my fellows. And I prayed every day for God to show me how to, how to live in my family, how to live 
that surrendered life in uh, my working with others. And then when God called me into the bigger world to do work in my community, I was ready because of the preparation that God had led me through step by step in working in the rooms. And then I started to work in my community, all in the surrendered way of making amends for the life that I had lived, for the self-destruction that I created in the harm that I had done in not doing what I had been called to do. Because when I didn't do the service, the work that God had called me to do, that left a void in my family, a void in my community, a void in the world. And when I looked around and said, look, the world's falling apart, as I sat in my darkened room eating, the world is going to hell. But why not? Because the good that I would do wasn't getting done. Because I was sitting back criticizing, pointing the finger. And God called me to step up and to do my part, to do the work that I had neglected for decades and to make a decision that I would go to any lengths to do God's will every day. And today, I have to do the same thing I did when I first worked step eight and nine. When I first made that decision to turn my will and my life over, I have to do that today. God, what is your will for me? Get up in the morning and do vision for you every day. Thy will, not mine, be done. I have to tell you that my sponsor says, Sharon, how do you do all this stuff? This doesn't. This is so much. And I realize that all that I do is easy compared to the life of food addiction. Doing God's will is easy compared to the hell. I, if I told you everything I do today, you would say, that's impossible. And if you want to call me, I'll give you a list of everything I do. When I say what I do in a day, I can't believe I did that, do that. But because of God, I can do more than I ever dreamed I could do. I can make an impact where I never imagined. Because it's not me. Because I'm in the flow of life doing God's will. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Sharon. Now we'll move on to Rick. Welcome, Rick, to the line. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive reader. recovered today. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here today. Um, you know, I, I often say that the most difficult step was always the next one. And I felt that way about step three, felt that way about step four, uh, step five. Six and seven, not so much because I was pretty much doing that to myself, but I felt that way about eight and nine also. And it, it is a daunting task, and it is a bit intimidating, but it's uh, so worth getting through these steps. And as Sharon mentioned, uh, there are so many people that get 
get stuck and they get uh, get hampered. But um, thankfully, uh, I wasn't, and I got through it. So step eight and nine. Um, step eight and nine. Um, we got some noise here. Can we? Um, what I did with with uh, step eight, I I discussed a lot of stuff uh, with my sponsor along the way, and there were things we were discussing, especially when we were doing the uh, the fifth step. He would say to me, "Oh, you might owe that person an amend. You might not owe this person an amend." So there was there was uh, ongoing discussion, and uh, so when I got to step eight, you know, I had a I had a good idea of who should be on the list and what I needed to do. Um, it wasn't it wasn't done in a vacuum, but nevertheless, I had to put the pencil to paper and and make that list. So, um, and what he said to me was, when you start making your amends, pick pick one that you think will go pretty well and and do it. And that way it will get the ball rolling. Don't try to do the, the biggest things first. And, uh, well, I didn't want to do something that was uh, very minor that I knew I could accomplish. Um, but, I, so I, I, but I wanted to do something that I thought would be meaningful and yet um, would would be doable. And one of the people I needed to make amends to is my sister. And my sister has been, uh, you know, very, uh, very, very helpful with my mother. She's given a, a lot of her time. She's welcomed her into her home and putting up with a lot of the things that uh, happen to all of us when we get older. And I really was kind of letting my sister do do what she was doing on her own. I wasn't I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't doing my part. So I, I owed my mother amends too, but I, I, I owed my sister amends. So I can remember it was a uh, I think it was a day in the in fall and we happened to have a an early snowstorm. So I went over and I, I didn't have to work. So I made my way over to my sister's house to make that make amends to her. And the first thing I had to do was explain to her what I was doing. Now, she knew I was in AA for many years. She didn't know much about the program, and she knew I was in OA, but she didn't She didn't know what I was doing. She just thought I was going to some meetings that helped me with my food. So I had to explain to her what I was doing. I had to explain to her a little bit about the program of recovery, a little bit about, you know, the steps, and... I had to tell her that I was working this stuff very seriously because anybody that knew me or knows of my story knows that a spiritual program is not something that I would normally be associated with. So I had to let her know what I was doing, that I was embarking on something that was pretty serious and pretty dramatically different from uh, what she would normally think of me doing. And, you know, our relationship was, was good. So it wasn't like I was walking into a, a a place where there was disharmony. Our relationship was fine. But I 
you know, order amends, but I, and I needed to tell her why. I wasn't just going to walk in and say, I'm sorry. I had to tell her what I was doing. So I explained to her a little bit about the program. I had a big book in my hand. I actually gave her a copy of the book. And um, I said, you know, you can read it sometime if you if you want to get an idea of what's going on. And I told her that we had to make amends to people and we had to, uh, you know, admit our faults. And I explained to her that, um, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't been there for, for her. I hadn't been there for my mother. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. I was basically running away from a problem. And she said to me, well, you've done enough. You've done enough. I, and I answered that with, well, no, I haven't. I haven't. That's why I'm here, because I don't feel like I've done enough. And I've kind of let you uh, carry the burden. And, you know, I need to, one, make amends for not being there to help you. And two, I need to change my actions in the future and help you out and make sure I'm doing my part. And um, she she was blown away. That isn't the way that we spoke to each other. We didn't tell each other that uh, we were deeply sorry about something. We didn't talk about spiritual things. We didn't. We we just did not have that level of communication. And I was amazed that for the first time I had a conversation with my sister that was more than superficial. And it was really the first time with anybody in my family that I had a conversation that was more than superficial. So um, it was it was a remarkable experience. And one of the a little funny thing about it. Um, so I, you know, after I had explained to her about the program and I made my amends to her, and uh, she said to me, "Well, can't you just tell these people that you?" you've made these amends and lie to them and go about your business because you've lost all this weight and you're doing good. And I, I thought it was funny. And she was, she was kidding. She was kidding. And I said to her, um, you know, I could probably do that, but that's not why I'm here. And, you know, she nodded her head and, and again, kind of in disbelief that, uh, you know, because that's probably the way I, I would have handled something like this in the past. I would have just pretended that I did it and walked away. So she, I think what she was equating step nine with, because she's not familiar with the program, was that Seinfeld episode where George is running away, running around telling people they owe him apologies and things like that. And I think she, she kind of looked at it as such a, a, a superficial thing like that. So I thought that was that was kind of comical. So I, I got that amend out of the way, and that was a big deal because, you know, she I owed her amends for my not doing enough to help my mother. Well, then obviously I needed to make amends to my mother. So um, that one was going to be tough. And I remember talking to my 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 sponsor saying. Uh, you know, I don't know if I can do this. This is going to be difficult. My mother's got a lot of issues and without going into it. 
And he said to me, well, sometimes we're not able to do that. Sometimes we have to make those amends after they're gone and at their grave site. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's an idea. I could do that. And uh, at the time, my mother wasn't doing too well, and I, I actually, you know, thought well, that was the way I was going to handle it. But my mother's health got a little bit better, and uh, that was that was really not an option. And um, so she ended up moving in with my sister, and uh, there were some issues over there. But I went over there, and. Um, the door opened up to make amends. I didn't walk in to my mother like I walked in with my sister and announce myself and tell her the reason I was there. It just kind of happened. And I can remember her saying something, uh, complaining about my brother, that my brother wasn't uh, doing enough. He wasn't showing up. He wasn't, you know, over at the house. You know, I was over there just about every weekend. And I said, hey, Ma, why don't you leave him alone? He's kind of busy. He's got two little kids, two kids in college. He's, he's a little bit busy. And besides, I have to be here. And she looked at me. What do you mean you have to be here? I said, I have to be here. I have to be here because I haven't been the son that I'm supposed to be. I've been letting my sister carry the burden of dealing with with you in your old age, um, by herself, I haven't helped out, I haven't con- contributed, I haven't given of my time, and not only now, but you know, over the years, even even before you moved in, I haven't been the son that I'm supposed to be, and I need to I need to rectify that, I need to change, and I need to be here to do my part to help you out and help her out. So that door just opened up, and the look on my mother's face was, uh, I can only describe it as kind of like bewilderment, because again, we don't don't communicate that way. We don't talk about um, these deep emotional things. It's just the way we were, and... um, I don't know, this, I think, um, you know, certain, my mother might, well, anyway, I, I, I won't even get into that, but it's just not the way we were. Uh, we didn't we didn't talk at a deep level. But it, it, it changed things. It, when I left the house that day, I was driving home and I was thinking to myself, wow, I, I can't believe I made amends to my mother. I can't believe I told her that. And I was I was kind of like in this fog of disbelief because I honestly did not think I was going to be able to sit down with her in any way, shape, or form and admit that I had been wrong. And I don't know if it was that day or a while after when I was still reflecting on this, but the the thought started coming across to my head that I started to understand when people talk about doing things that they were not able to do themselves. And 
you know, the promises. You will suddenly realize that God is doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And I started to think about that promise. And I knew that I, in my infinite wisdom and my intelligence and my ability to reason things out, that is not something that I was capable of doing. I couldn't have done that. I, I did not plan it to happen. I didn't have the guts to, to um, you know, make an appointment and go over there. So obviously I wasn't planning on doing it. And something occurred to me that that wasn't me acting on that day. And the, the, the thought occurred to me that the only explanation was that was God. And those aren't thoughts that were normal for me to have. On that day, there was something different that occurred. And, and I got the big book out. I looked up those promises. And, and I said, yeah, that's what they're talking about. I couldn't do that. So something was working on my behalf. And it gave me a deeper understanding of the power of God, something that I didn't have prior to that day. And it opened up unbelievable doors to exploring spirituality. Um, you know, things that I didn't think I was able to investigate, things that um, groups that I didn't think I would be able to get involved in, conversations I didn't think I I would be able to have books I didn't think I would be able to read. And, you know, I can, I can trace it back to that day with my mother when I was able to, you know, lay things out on the table. And had I not worked the steps prior to that, I never would have made it to that amend with my mother. So it just goes to show you that's how this program works. We follow this set of directions and we, we, we do what the book tells us to do with the help of, of sponsors and uh, friends and we gain a new understanding of the power of God. And for myself, there was very little understanding at that point. Now, I, I know people in the program that have a deep understanding of God, but yet they hadn't worked the steps. And when they worked those steps, their understanding of God became ultimately more clearer, even though they thought they had it down pat. So it doesn't matter where we're at. What it matters is when we follow those directions that we're going to get in closer conscious contact with the God of our understanding. And now I can see that in other people, I can see it in myself, and I understand how these steps these steps work. So that was that was a very, you know, profound moment in, in my recovery. And, you know, there are things going on today that I'm doing as a result of that that are allowing me to explore uh, even deeper. Uh, which I, you know, I won't get into because it's kind of an outside issue. Um, 
you know, there are other there are other amends I I had to make, and there are other types of amends. Um, um, just one other I'll or two other I'll explain a little bit about. Um, there were some issues when I went through resentments with some people, and um, you know, some of them my sponsor had said. You're going to need to make an amends to that person. You're going to need to make an amends to her and maybe not to this one. And, you know, we came up, we, we discussed some people that maybe went back 20 years ago or 25 years ago. And um, I said, do you think I need to contact her? Do you think I need to contact that person? And he said, I don't know you might be doing more harm than good if you open up um, that can of worms. He said, but think about it this way. He said, we can, we can, we can talk more about it, but think about it this way. Um, prepare yourself for the day that you might run into that person. How will you handle it? What will you say? Um, or are you going to run away? And, you know, my natural inclination is to run away from those situations. So he advised me to kind of get prepared, prepare for a, a chance encounter with some of these people that um, we, we didn't think it was appropriate to dig up, you know, information uh, from 20, 25 years ago. And some of them were appropriate, but some of them weren't. And he, he said, prepare for it. And... You know, that was a great help because I was able to at least get it clear in my mind what I would do if I ran into that person. And I still, this one that I'm thinking about, still think it probably would be inappropriate to, to make contact. So there's, there's different ways that we, we make these amends. Uh, the book says, I believe it says, uh, you know, they will take innumerable forms. And that's why it's important to you know, discuss it with with many people, uh, especially that recovered sponsor. Uh, other recovered people, we can get a lot of insight. But the, the most important thing is to do it. We have to get into it. Um, as I said earlier, um, many people get blocked doing that, that writing, and they never get it done. And some people get blocked making those amends and never get them started. I think that's the, the bigger pitfall is not getting started on the amends or doing things that are very superficial and saying that I started it. So um, it needs to be given some thought what you're going to go to first and who you're going to make those amends to. And, you know, I'm thankful that, you know, I picked a couple that... Uh, that really made a difference and were, were really um, illustrated the promises of the program to me. So anyway, that's just a, a little bit of what I did with Steps 8 and 9, and uh, I think I'll pass with that. Thank you very much, Rick, for sharing your experience on Steps 8 and 9. Now we'll move to panelist number three. That's Jan P. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, this is Jan P. from Minneapolis, and I would like to um, qualify that I just celebrated on February 2nd, 21 years in the program. I started in February 1992, and I have um, 
almost eight years of a very clean back-to-back abstinence from compulsive overeating. So I have a big background in the program, but uh, less time as far as um, being away from the compulsion, but it takes what it takes. Um, we're here today to talk about steps eight and nine, and the first one is step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And basically, I felt like if I'd ever met you, I probably owed you an apology because I had a very caustic, tongue, sarcastic attitude. And um, I just felt like, you know, everybody, all I did was run through my life with a machete and cut down or be awful to everyone. So I felt like I needed to make amends to everybody I'd ever known. Um, like a good addict, though, I was a, a gun jumper. I I um, got into the program, as I said, in February 1992, and I heard about all of the stuff I was going to do when they read through the stuff about making, you know, your inventory and list amends and blah, blah, blah. Well, at the point that I got into program, I had not seen or spoken to my father in seven years. Um, my parents divorced when I was about six and a half years old, and my dad and I have had a very fractured very difficult, painful relationship throughout our entire life and throughout my entire life. And there were periods, so as a teenager of four years, I didn't see or speak to him. And then later on, as an adult, seven years where I didn't see or speak to him. And um, I was angry at this man. I was angry at him and I hated him. And the big book even addresses that. It says, um, let's see, where is it? On page 77. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. And it did immediately as I got into program. I went, oh, crud, I'm going to have to make amends to this guy if I want to be free from compulsive overeating. And at 230 pounds and compulsive overeating and deteriorating health, I did. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free of that. So I jumped right ahead before I had worked any of the steps wasn't working with a sponsor or anything and called my dad out of the blue because I thought, I just want to get this over with. I just want to get this done and over with. So I called him, made plans to see each other. I went to see him and kind of said, you know, sorry for the stuff that's gone on between us and hope that we can have a better relationship, et cetera. And he was open to that and amenable. He would have never offered the olive branch himself first, but he was open to it. So we kind of started back up our relationship. And I was very grateful for that because then um, I got married and I actually had him give me away at my wedding and stuff, and, and it was very nice. And the relationship improved over time. Well, then for a while I kind of dropped out of program for a couple of years and then got back into it in 2005 with, because I was just deteriorated to the point where I, there was nowhere else to go, nothing else I could do. My health was bad. My weight had escalated to the highest it had been. Um, I wasn't living a life based on the steps or the principles, and, and I was hurting from it, too. So I got back into program with earnestness and got a sponsor, started working with the sponsor, and actually did finally do my fourth-step inventory, gave that away with my fifth step, and then sat down and made that list of people that I had harmed. And... It was long. It wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be because my sponsor helped me look at it in a realistic way. But, the, of course, the one person that was still on there that I had never really gotten rid of all the resentments, I mean, I had reconnected the relationship but hadn't gotten rid of all the resentments was my dad. Um, I hated him because I was so much like him, too, and that was the, the hard part. I looked like him. 
We're very much alike in personality and demeanor and stuff too. So I, what I didn't like in myself, I didn't like in him and vice versa. And I still carried those things down inside and gone through years of therapy and things like that. And I remember a psychologist asked me one time, what are you going to be when your father finally apologizes to you for all of this? And I said, tall, thin, and blonde. And that, of course, did not happen, although um, we will get to the thin part later. So anyway, um, in 2009, my niece got married, and I decided that I would make formal amends with my dad. I hadn't seen him in a while because we're, we live across country from each other. But we were out there for the wedding, and the formal amends process kind of came out of the blue a little bit, but it was my opportunity. My dad is going to be 88 this year in June. And so um, as he's been getting older, I realized that the opportunity to make formal amends with him was starting to get less and less in person. So we sat down outside together, and it was the most amazing spiritual experience, one of the spiritual experiences that I've had in the program since um, all of the all of the other amends combined. I sat with this man. We held hands. We both cried. We both admitted we were at fault. We both had talked about painful experiences, the things that had happened. He admitted that he had not been a good father. He said he probably shouldn't have been a dad, you know, which is kind of too late then at that point when your kids are in their 50s and 60s and stuff. But, I mean, he admitted his part, which was not part of the bargain either. I was there to tell him I was sorry for the mean things I had said about him, for withholding love, for not sending cards, for ignoring him, for telling people I didn't have a dad as though he had passed already um, throughout my life. Um, it was just it was a very strong and powerful uh, encounter. And we sat and cried. I, I have the blessing that someone took a picture of us, too, while we were doing this. I didn't even know that while we were doing it. Someone took a picture of us. So I have a photographic um, memento of making amends with my father, which is, was really powerful and really strong. But what happened that day was, you know, yes, I forgave him. I could say to him, I love you, and I mean it. And I forgave him for the stuff. I realized the things he had done to us or me, someone had done to him. I didn't come to him as a wounded child that day. I came to him as, as an adult ready to make amends for what I had done. So I feel like um, at that point I had approached it from a completely different aspect. I looked at the steps. I looked at the stuff that we that we do, um, the willingness to go to any length. Um, the stuff that we wanted to, that I wanted to walk through that arch as a free person. I said we were carefully reading the first five proposals. We asked if we admitted anything, so we were building an arch through which we would walk a free man at last, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to walk away from that amends free. No more guilt, so that if we don't see each other again, we're, we're good. We're good and we're solid, and that's where we are today with that, too. Um... He lives in California. I live in Minnesota. We do talk on the phone frequently. Um, they're lovely phone conversations. He sent turned over all the family photos to me, and we've had long, long conversations about the history of the family, this family that I hated and didn't want to be a part of because I felt like they were the problem. 
they were all the problem because they were all the addicts on that side of my my family. But now I have a lot more tolerance and forgiveness for all of the, the people in my family and see that I'm the lucky addict of my family. I'm the one that's been able to find recovery. My grandpa, his dad, died on the streets in Denver, Colorado as an alcoholic. Um, every one of them, all the men were alcoholics, all the women were drug addicts. So it just it was kind of like... Um, amazing, you know. I came by my my addiction honestly. That's for sure. But um, I I've been able to forgive that. I don't I don't want to separate myself from being a part of my dad anymore. His blood does flow through my veins, and that's okay. I am just equally amount of him as I am of my mother. And what my what I heard today from my sponsee when she was reading stuff to me was that it's the, the Forgiveness allows the forgiver to live free, and that's what this has done. I didn't get to sin or feel good about my life because my dad apologized to me finally. I, I, got, I stopped eating compulsively. I got healthier with this step because of my apology to him. It, you know, that, that's what did it. It wasn't what he did for me. It's what I did for him. And my husband often tells me, it's the love I give that heals me. And that's the truth here. It's the love I gave through my, my amends process that healed me in this, in this relationship with my father and in this relationship with other people, too. Um, my first formal amends was, my, um, was an attorney I worked with at my law firm that I completely embarrassed and humiliated in front of a lot of people and had to make amends for that. My last formal amends was my dad in September 2009, and I have walked away from that for a free person. I can live today very happily in my heart um, knowing that if my dad passes, we're good. We love each other. We've forgiven each other. We get each other. We understand each other. We know, you know, what happened, and we're sorry that that happened, and we can't go back and change that, but we can go forward and be forgiving and loving with each other from here on out. So I just, I, like everyone else, was afraid to do the fourth-step inventory and the fifth-step, give it away, ooh, I'm going to have to look at all of my stuff. I'm careful about doing steps eight and nine, too, but those have been extremely freeing for me. And... Today, I have, you know, almost eight years of not compulsively overeating, 102-pound weight loss that I'm maintaining. I don't have to eat over things today. I don't have to eat at people or over things that happened in my past day because of the amends process. Those things are gone. They've been wiped clean, and I get to live a free person today, and I get to go through each day, you know, working the steps and still continuing to be forgiving and caring and, and making amends for things immediately now instead of letting them build up over a period of time. So I, if you're, you're hesitant to work your steps eight and nine, I just encourage you to take a deep breath, as Sharon said, call upon your higher power and go for it because the freedom will be yours, not the other person's. And it doesn't matter what their reaction is or what, what they think, it's that you walk away a free person from this. And with that, I will thank you. Thank you very much, Jan, and thank you to our three panelists this morning, Sharon, Rick, and Jan. Now we will open the floor for any questions you might have for our panelists this morning regarding Steps 8 and 9, and you can do so by pressing star 1 to unmute.
Good morning, Leah. Any questions this morning related to steps eight or nine? Leah, it's Mindy. Yeah. Hey, Mindy, good morning. Good morning. I'm so touched by what everybody says, and I just want to thank them for taking me through that journey that they went through. Very emotional. Makes me think of, you know, amends that I want to make that I will make and how powerful it is. And I love what the last speaker said, that um, you heal from the love you give, not the love you receive. Amazing as always and beautiful. And I just want to say thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Mindy. Anyone else? Questions for our panelists this morning? Hi, I have a question. My name's Lori. And um, um, I don't know. I'll just throw it out there. I don't know really who it's for. But, like, say if um, you were abused by someone and you hated that person, and like how do you and they're they're gone now how do you make amends for your part when what they did was so evil to you thank you lori for the question it's a good one often one that is asked any of the panelists like to respond please i i would this is jan um, my dad was an abusive man with alcoholism. He, he um, beat on my mother and used to beat my brother, and I witnessed that many times. Um, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, certainly, and physically as well. And so there were a lot of things where it was almost harder for me to forgive him for the things that he did to my mom and my brother than he did to me. I was the baby of the family, so I escaped a lot of it. He was, he was kind of terminated from the family early on. But what I realized... Um, at some point as I as I got older and heard more and stuff is that it was done to him too. He couldn't be a good father. He didn't have the skills for it. He didn't have, have any nurturing or love. Grew up dirt poor during, you know, he was born in 1925 and stuff, dirt poor, born, um, you know, into a, a very fractured, abusive family too. So whatever he did to us, I realized eventually someone had done to him and he didn't know any better. And that allowed me to look down into myself and find the forgiveness that I needed to let go of those things and say, you know, this is a sick child of God. He was a sick child of God. Someone had done this to him. No one had given him any skills. No one gave him the 12 steps or any tools to work with to come through life. And so he just kind of winged it and did it the best that he could. And, of course, you know, the abusers, usually turn around and abuse, too. So I I have been able to forgive him for those things because I see how painful what he went through was and that that was all that he knew. So that, that's the best I can do. Now, if the person's gone at this point, I think if my father was gone, my personal thing would be either to go somewhere and pray out loud to that person or possibly to their their gravestone and have a conversation if you need something a little more tangible and and say, I forgive you for what you did because I know someone did this to you too. Because again, once again, I can't stress enough that it's you that wants to be free of the compulsive overeating. And by doing, by letting them go, you let yourself go. Thank you. Thank you, Lori, for the question and Jan for the response. Either the other panelists like to make a comment? May I? I'd like to respond to that. 
Sharon, go ahead. Thank you. I had a situation that happened to me when I was in the seventh grade in Biloxi, Mississippi. I'm African-American. And I went to, I had to uh, go to this school that didn't want me there because of my race. And as a matter of fact, I was, my brother and I were the first two African-Americans to go to the school. And they tried very hard to uh, block us from coming, but they were forced to accept us under threat of losing all their government aid. And so we went to the school. I was in the seventh. My brother was in the ninth. I didn't realize that because I was black, I was supposed to shut up and sit in the back of the room. And so I, I just was just a kid, and I responded, and I was very bright in those days. And so I was excelling in everything that I did. I was just kind of the top of the class. As a matter of fact, I, I had we had an English teacher that that um, my brother and I both had. And so I wrote something that was better than anyone in the seventh or ninth grade. And she took what I wrote and read it out in the seventh grade class and the ninth grade class, and she reprimanded the kids for not doing their best and allowing Sharon to do better than they did. And in the ninth grade class, she chided my brother in front of his classmates for allowing his sister to do better than he had done. My brother was so ashamed that he, he, uh, he tormented me. And as a matter of fact, after when I was healing in my 12-step recovery, I called him, and we cried together about the pain from years. And he, he said he still tormented his, his he, he had all girls, and he, women had, from that time on, he just was, didn't ever want a woman to be smarter than him and so forth. So there was a lot of pain associated with that. And during my amends, I had to deal with my brother. I had to deal with the school, the teacher. She had taken me to the principal. This was, that's the one. And, and I had to deal with society. And that, when I was speaking, that was a little bit of the amends that, I mean, I, that was a little bit of the situation that caused me to withdraw from society and, and really caused a lot of pain. So I had to... Here, there's a teacher. I don't even remember her name. All I know is that there's a lot of pain associated with it. The big picture is that I withdrew. Where's the harm that I had created? And, and quite frankly, I felt that that abuse, if you will, and, and some people don't understand why a child could be so pained by this type of thing because it was, it just, to the core, I mean, just my whole life has been uh, has been uh, harmed by what this person did to me. Yet in my step nine, I had to forgive. I in my life. So, how do you deal with that? How do you forgive? And uh, I have had to just release her and and to recognize that this. It wasn't her specifically, society, 
you know, the bigger picture, and 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 I had to work through that. With I I I went to my brother, and we we physically cried together. It was just so amazing for both of us to have that time where. And when I approached him, I didn't go as it directly as an amend. I went as it as just do you remember and and just basically talking about the situation and but the amends for me what and and, and has has been more so a living amends where I say I love you when I get off the phone and and I uh, just have mended that relationship by my actions on a regular basis, and both of us have almost a magical relationship today which that's full of respect and honor, and when I have done, he's supported me in everything I've done and just moving forward into community, and so with that, I'm, I'm just going to pass because I could go on and on. I feel like I've been talking a lot, and so hopefully I've answered the question and if there's any other questions about that specifically, I can address that. So thank you, and I pass. Thank you very much. Any other questions this morning regarding steps eight and nine? Press star one to unmute. Hi, this is Rose. I, I do have a question. A question. Good, good, Rose. Go ahead. Okay. First, I really I want to thank... Sharon, Ian, Rick, and Jan, um, I really don't have words for all that the three of you shared with your experience on the step and in your recovery. I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, the question I, I do have is how do you continue, this is for all three, um, how do you continue working steps eight and nine after you have done them, you know, the first time when you completely went through the steps, how do you work eight and nine daily or as as it comes up? I'd be very interested in that. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Well, I'd like to, um, you know, in particular, I have to, I made amends for my behaviors, and I think that is where the living amends come in, um, especially with, you know, what I'm presently going through with uh, going with my mother, my sister. I mean, they still need my support, and I can't just say, hey, I, I said I'm sorry and walked away from it. Um, I have to I have to walk the walk now after I did, after I made those amends. Now I have to continue to do what I said I was supposed to do. So, um I think that is is the most important thing is to show that not only was I able to make amends that I have I have changed the behavior that I was making the amends for. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Rick. Any of the other panelists want to speak to I'll, that? I'll take a stab at that. Go right ahead, Sharon. My one of the things I've been in programs since 1991, <laughs> abstinence since uh, 2001, continuously. And 
in since 1991, I can I used to apologize to my mother because I would talk to her. She would just set me off. Oh, my gosh. And I would apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So I was constantly apologizing. One day my mother said to me, and I don't live in the same city with her, so uh, one of the things I would do is try not to call her very often because inevitably she'd say something and try not to visit too often because she'd do something. So my way of, of dealing with uh, myself and my resentment early on in my program was to avoid, just not be around her, and and quick, very quick to say I'm sorry, quick to apologize, quick to recognize what I did wrong. One day my mother said to me, I was in the back of the car and I said something, and she said something, and I reacted, and 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 she turned around and she looked at me. She was in the passenger seat, and she said, Sharon. I don't want to hear your apology. Just change. And that just slapped me in the face. And so with my mother, I realized that the best I can do is to really work on my program of recovery. Really work on just dig into the steps. Dig into it on a daily basis. Work with my fellows. Push in. Because I had to recognize that my defects, I had no control over them, that I was reactionary, whereas the big book says that as we recover, we will begin to act upon life rather than react upon it. I I had to recognize that the problem in my relationship with my mother, which, and with my husband, I have to tell you, I did the same, I was... I would make amends, write a letter. These people did not want to hear my amends. My husband, I kept trying to say, let's sit down and talk. Nobody wanted to talk to me about amends. None of my quotes, my husband or my my mother. They didn't want to hear, they didn't want to sit down and hear my amends. Because for years I've been, I'm sorry, I apologize. And nobody wanted, they just wanted to see my amends. Change. Just change because we don't want to hear it anymore. And so that's how I have to live every day. And even with my children, I, I, I don't hesitate to, I, I do verbally still, if I, and I, now I haven't had to make an apology to my mother for years, for almost a decade, because I just really am very good with her, but with my, the people I live with. That I have to still, if I do something, and, and thank God I, with my children, I've been very good recently. And with my husband, however, the, 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 the amends, the, the harm, the, the, the uh, infliction of harm is so subtle that oftentimes I don't even see it. I'll say something. I'll do some of my... Uh, behavior, even today, after 20 years in the program, after 11 years of recovery, after working the steps over and over again, I will find, I, just recently, I saw something else where I was harming him. And I realized that, again, he didn't want to hear it. No words can make the difference. I had to act 
I had to live it. I had to speak it. I have to say it. I have to say I love you. I have to tell him I'm working on this. I have to let him know, look, I can't even explain. He doesn't even want to hear about the 12 steps. You know, obviously he's not in recovery. He doesn't want to hear, well, you know, the program. He doesn't want to hear it. But I have to tell him, I said, you know, I am wrong. I am, you know, dealing with money, particularly. I've let things go and I haven't been focused. I've got a little ADD going on here. And and I've screwed up the checkbook over and over and over again. And so I have to show him. I have to work really hard. And I have to tell you, my hackles will get up because I want him to understand me. But I can't even expect that because it's my job. I'm the one in program. I'm the one. It's page 99 and the 12 and 12. Seek to understand rather than be understood. And so I have to step out there. I have to let go of my resentment in order to work steps eight and nine effectively. And as hard as it is, I have to swallow my pride. I have to swallow my expectations. And I have to step out and be what I want to him, what I want him to be to me. I have to be that way when I want him to love me a certain way. I have to let go of that and love him the way I want him to love me. I have to seek to understand his needs. I have to buy the milk when I want to show resentment because I want him to understand that I struggle with money and I'm having a hard time balancing the checkbook. And I want him to have a better attitude. But he thinks he's just not able and not always doing what I want him to do. But what I have found is when I do for him what he needs, when I let go of doing for him what I think he should have, and I try, seek to understand what his needs are. That's how I make my amends, regardless of how he treats me. I have found, lo and behold, he starts changing. When I give up expecting him to change or wanting him to change, he starts doing it. And there's something, again, that word, magical, miraculous. And I begin to get what I need, maybe not directly from him, but through the miracle of the program, the miracle of life. So it's sometimes I don't even see how I can make that amends because I'm holding on to that resentment so tightly. But when I work the program and give it up, then I can live the amends when I give up that resentment. As hard as it is, when I become willing, step six, to give it up, then God can take it. And then I can admit that my husband, I owe him amends, even when, I, when he may not be, what I, be doing what I think I, I want. Forget that. Just me, work my program. And then, then I can be free. 
when I act the part, I love you, honey, even though I I had that resentment, I just started making the amends, I love you. I look at me, I'm trying to do this with my checkbook as hard as it is. I'm I'm stepping out, getting the help I need to work in the area that's that's causing you pain. I'm working with my money, managing my bills, managing the household, getting order and, and structure, cleaning out the garage because I know that's important to you, whether where I want you to do this, but you haven't done it yet. I'm gonna go ahead and do what you have asked me to do, regardless of whether you're you're waiting on me to do it. We're both waiting. We're both trying to harm each other because the other one didn't do. I'm doing what I need to do anyway because that's what I need to do for my recovery to show my amends. I clean the garage even though I think it's ridiculous that you need to have this air. I'm doing it anyway. That makes you happy. Then you say, well, now I cleaned the garage, and now you say, well, you did clean it. Thank you for that. But what about that over there? Let me just accept it. Let me do that, too, because I want recovery, because I want to show love. And when I do that, I get so much back. And I work. that's how I work my program. That's where freedom and the power of this program has come in, where I didn't even think it was possible for me to forgive. It wasn't possible for me to, to live that way. It was better for me to quit, to leave, divorce, get rid of you, move on. Be free. But when I just did that little thing, clean the space in the garage, do the next area that you wanted me to do. And then, lo and behold, I'm able to live with you, live in it, and, and we have a happy relationship that that is miraculous. The kids are happy. We're laughing, having fun together. It's happening for me one day at a time. I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Rose, thank you for the question. Any other questions this morning related to steps eight and nine? Hi, this is Sharon from Denver, Colorado. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Can you hear me? Indeed. Go ahead. All right. Well, thank you. First of all, I just wanted to thank you so much, Rick, Sharon, and Jan, for everything that you've shared on these two steps. And I do have a question. I have been in the program for many, many years, and so I have done several four steps and gone through this whole process many times. However, then this past two years I've been in relapse, and now I am uh, been listening to the Vision for You meeting since July, and I'm beginning my four steps. I have a question regarding, you know, in the book it says some of us thought we had cleared out the past, but we have not. And so what I wanted to know this time, and I have made amends over the years, when I do my fourth step now, do I just, um, I'm just asking, do I need to uh, do everything over the past two years that, that caused me to, go back out again and eat, or do I need to go all the way back um, over the years, even though I've done that before? I would just like some clarity on that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Rick, are you available to respond to that question? Um, so the question is, you're in relapse, and oh, you were in relapse. Do you need to 
go through what you've done in the past on your steps? Is that? Yes. Well, I would uh, I would answer it this way: that if if you've dealt with something and you feel like you've dealt with it sufficiently, you've dealt with it. If there's something that is you feel that is still taking up space in your head, then that's what you've got to deal with. Um, doing something that you've already cleared up isn't going to help you do anything. That's like um, like changing the oil after you already had the oil changed. It's not going to do anything good. So it's your goal is still the same as it was in the beginning, is to clear away wreckage that is, is causing you trouble. Um, so I, I don't think the point is to go through these steps many, many times. The point is to, to deal with the, the stuff that is causing us pain and anguish. And um, that's, that's my answer to that. I'll pass it. Thank you, Rick and Sharon, for the question. Thank you. Any Thank other you. questions? Thank you. Leah, may I address um, Sharon's question for just a second? Of course. Go right ahead. This is Jan. Um, Sharon, on page 84 of the big book, in the middle of the page, it talks about step 10, but this kind of applies to what you're going through, too. This brought us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. So that might be something that you want to think about, the mistakes that have been more... um, uh, recent. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And this is kind of addresses Rose's question too. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime, which means we continue to do this daily. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And when these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately, like a sponsor or a friend in the program, hook up or something like that, and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone so that we don't start amassing more, another eight and nine, hopefully. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance is our goal. Thanks. Thank you very much, Jan, for reading. Of course, that is page 84, step 10. But obviously we go through steps one through nine prior to reaching step ten, but thank you very much for that, Jan. Thank you for the question, Sharon. Any other questions related to steps eight and nine? This is Susan. Susan, go ahead. Yes, hi. Good morning. You know what? I'm actually outside, and I'm going to be inside soon. The other person can go ahead, and I'll go after them. Okay. Uh, Who else spoke up? Good morning. This is Lisa from New Jersey. Uh, Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. Um, I have a question, uh, I guess clarity. I mean, thank you all so much. I'm on step nine right now, so I was so excited when I heard that this panel was happening today. And um, what I got from Sharon and Rick's sharing was, that they were making, um, and correct me, please, if I'm wrong. I'm trying to process all of this. Um, It sounds like making amends for inactions um, that caused harm. 
And um, I just wanted to, if you could elaborate a little bit, like um, I think Sharon was the first person who was speaking about her experience in childhood and how that created sort of a withdrawal from community. Um, is And then I guess because of the withdrawal, then her talents or whatever were not being expressed. Is that the harm? And Rick was uh, saying that, he, uh, I guess, didn't help out as much as I never thought of looking at harm in that way. So I was just curious how you came to that um, realization. I did a on my fourth step. I mean, I listed a bunch of things, but every single um, person I had or situation I had a resentment for. Um, I, le- I kind of left off institutions because I didn't see where I had done harm, but now I'm looking at it and thinking, hmm. So I was just curious um, how you came to that realization and if I'm correct in my comprehension of what you said. Thank you. Well, Thank you. when you know. Go ahead, go ahead, Rick. What about negligence and selfishness? Go ahead, Rick. Thank you. When you know in your heart that you haven't done something, that you're supposed to be doing, um, sitting back and doing nothing is action. That's harmful action. So it doesn't, I mean, it's it's splitting hair is how you want to categorize it. If you're feeling resentment and guilt over something you've done or haven't done, it, it's it's taking up space in your head. It's causing you, causing you pain. So that's wreckage to be cleared away. So... Um, I don't think the the over analysis is is really um, going to help anybody. If it if it bothers you, we got to try to deal with it. I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Sharon, did you want to respond briefly to that? Yes, I can. I can respond to that. When uh, page sixty eight, perhaps there is a better way. We think so, for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than finite self. We are in the world to play the role he assigns. And so what I found, what my awareness when I, in step four, was that I resented institutions. I resented society. I resented the way the whole world, the the whole system, that it was stacked against me, that it it was laid out so that it disadvantaged me hugely. I resented the fact, I felt like, well, they don't want me. Like, the world doesn't want me. So I could retreat. And I I believe that uh, what has become I have become aware of is that I could not be free I could not live the role that God had for me until first of all I let go of all those resentments that I had harbored towards the people things institutions about towards history I mean his things I had nothing to do with I didn't create this I didn't do anything to cause it. But the reality is, is that it doesn't matter what people, places or things or society or institutions do to 
and or how they are. It's my role to do what God calls me to do, irregardless of all of that. And so, indeed, indeed, I had to uh, include that. In, because after I let go of the resentment, there still was the amends. Because what harm have I done? What about that person that I could have helped when I was sitting in eating bonbons with the curtains closed? So, yes, institutions, yes, because that's when I start fulfilling what these 12 steps say. This isn't just about me recovering and my world being healed. It's about me being restored to where God wants me to be and fulfilling that role that he has assigned. Who was getting, what was getting done? That was something that society was missing out on. I harmed society by closing the curtains and closing the door and sitting in that dark room with those, that food all around me, thinking this is just about me and myself, and I'm perfect, and they're the ones that are making the harm. So, yes, you're correct in saying it has to be, it's bigger than just me, and we have to deal with the, the harm that we have done, the institutions and our society and our community. Thank you so much. That um, that really helped clarify, and um, I understand now. Thank you. Thank you all for your service. Thank you, Lisa, for the question. Susan, are you available now? You <laughs> I had am. a question Thank as you. well. Thank you. With a lot less wind in the background, thanks for waiting. Um, thank you, and to the speakers this morning. I didn't hear anyone mention anything about financial amends. There was a brief mention of money in checkbooks, but not of financial amends. And I know the first time I went through the steps, I needed to make some. And guess what? I've got to make some this time around when I get to that point. I'd love to hear uh, experience uh, on that if if there is any. Thanks. I don't know if that was great, part of the Great question. Or not. Thank you, Susan. Panelists, how about it? Who had to get their checks, checkbook out? Star one. Time mute. Yeah, I got my checkbook out. And uh, actually, um, some of them I didn't get my checkbook out because it was um, when I discussed it with my sponsor, we thought it might be better to not have uh, a record of making certain amends. Um, uh, it was a, it was like a, uh, it was a difficult one to, to talk about. But he said, said to me, uh, "Do you really think you, uh, do you really think you want to go that far with that one?" And uh, I said, "I don't know." And he said, "You might, you might harm yourself more than you're going to do do good." So. Maybe you need to make make restitution, but maybe maybe you're not going to be able to uh, uh, put your name on that check and send that in. And 
I, I admit, I, I made a financial a restitution, and uh, I did it, but I did it anonymously because, uh, you know, I uh, it was decided that it probably wouldn't be the best thing to uh, to put my name onto that. So um, it was it was up for discussion, but uh, yeah, that's that was uh, one way it did it. Other, and there weren't really many other amends, financial amends that I had to make, but uh, that particular one uh, we decided was going to cause more harm. So, so we made the the financial amends, but. Uh, I did it uh, anonymously, so I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Sharon or Jan, did you have something to add on that topic? May I get more clarity on the question? The question related well, to yeah i know it was on on uh, money but was was she referring to the not just making the amends about money but was she referring to getting the checkbook in order the harm done with how she managed her money um well this is the questioner so i'll i'll say i i'm really was interested in a, any general uh, discussion of financial amends that need to be made, or more specifically, uh, when when we've done harms, we need to make amends for them. So harms that we've done either to society or those around us in the realm of finance, in the realm of dollars and cents. Thanks. Well, I I know that for me, I have money has been as I got recovered from food then because I have an addictive a severely addictive personality then I turn to shopping and I can and and uh just ways of escape in 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 the in the malls I turn to Sale shopping. Now, the seeds of that were probably there before I got recovery from food, but they really exploded when I got abstinent because then I just switched. And I have to tell you, there are so many people in the rooms that I know of that not only have to work the OA program, but then find that they have to work another program in addition to manage their money because we do switch addictions. Our money is very much integral in our food addiction because I would, when I was, if, if I ran out of money when I was in the food, I could not just not eat because I didn't have any money. I still I got to bring out the credit card, and and just use the credit card to, to to feed my addiction, and so I had a total disregard for boundaries when it came to money. So once I got my food in order, then I really had to start working with my money, and then I had to go through and do the steps around my money, 
and I had to look at who had harmed, and that's how my the harm to my husband, my family came in, because I was just focused on myself. I had to look at the time I had to that I spent shopping, even if I was shopping for food, reading labels, just ex, in, an exorbitant amount of time in the grocery store, going down the aisles, reading the labels to make sure I was getting the right thing, or looking for that next sale. Uh, just, just. I had to really start putting boundaries around that. So, yes, I I have really had to work with money, and and I, and and I hope I've answered your question. If you have any other questions, I I don't mind answering those as well. Pass. Thank you, Jan. Did you have anything to add on that specific matter? Um, no, I really don't, Leah. Fortunately, I guess that was one of the areas where God saved me the best was that I didn't do a lot of financial harm through my my um, compulsive overeating. So that was not something that I had to experience. Okay, well, good for you, Jan. Good. And thank you, Susan, for the question. I hope that helped you. Any other questions this morning? Steps eight and nine. Hi, this is Lisa. From- Hi, this is Karen again in Denver, Colorado, and I was just wondering if I could get what? the phone numbers of the three speakers. Thank we you. Will, we will attend to that. Uh, did I hear Lisa, uh, another Lisa? Yes, yes. This is Lisa from Colorado. I have a question for any of the panelists. Um, I am finishing up my amends, and there's one person I really am scared to make an amends. It was a friend in uh, junior high that I suddenly turned on her and basically hated her and my big book step safe sponsor says I need to call her up have not talked to her since uh, maybe 35 years and make an amends over the phone and I'm just dragging my feet how did you or if you had any situations like that how did you find the strength to not worry about what that person was thinking but what God was wanting you to do and without a pass. Thank you, Lisa. Any of the panelists like to respond? This is Jan. Um, I don't know if this will be helpful or not, but um, I there were a couple of kids that I went to school with in grade school that were um, emotionally disturbed, I would say, and had some serious problems. And of course, at that time, I had no idea that that's what it was, but I was horrible to them, uh, verbally teasing, making them cry, making them fall apart on purpose, that kind of thing, um, embarrassing them in front of other people and stuff. So there was a part where I felt like I had not seen these children since, you know, one of them lived down the street from us, but I'd moved out of that neighborhood years and years ago. I hadn't seen these children um and I couldn't make direct amends because they were in California, but I did my utmost that I absolutely could to find them, their addresses, their what, their um, their whereabouts especially, to make the amends. And it was hideously embarrassing for me. I have to say, I was, you know, I was really awful to those children. And I was a child myself, and yeah, I probably had some things going on too, but it's just I couldn't look at that. I couldn't make excuses, and I couldn't let something even that old go. I needed to clean that up. 
So I did write very sincere letters that I ran past the sponsor before I sent and sent them out to California. I haven't ever heard back from them, but I can tell you that the relief that the fact that I made the effort to do that and hopefully that that the apology did reach them, um, it was, again, it's the love I give that heals me. It's just it was worth the effort to me. I don't know that it had the effect that we were hoping for, but even if that, that's none of my business. The rest of it was just the fact that I was willing to do it and made the effort and to find them and do that. So I don't know if that's helpful or not. Thank you very much. That was very helpful. That helps give me the courage to do the next right thing. Thank you. Thank you, Jan. Anyone else like to respond to that question? Well, thank you, Jan. Any other questions this morning before we close this morning on steps eight and nine? Uh, Yes, can we get the phone numbers of those that... um Spoke. Yes, we will do that. Absolutely. This is Hi, can I ask a question? Can I ask a question? Yes, go ahead. And then I believe I heard Judith as well. Go ahead. Hi. Um, how does one come about with that list of names that they need to make amends to? Um. How do we formulate that list? Okay. Thank you for the question. Panelists? Well, a lot of those names uh, you had been writing about when you're doing in step four quite often, um, usually they're one and the same. You know, you have resentments towards people and you acted out on against those people, so you owe them amends. Um Maybe not every amend you owe is going to be on your resentment list, but you've done that inventory, and that's even the big book, you know, tells you. You've already done that. When you've done your inventory, you've been making an inventory of people you've harmed also. So that's that's the key, is that uh, fourth-step inventory. Thank you, Rick. Yes, I'll... Uh direct the person who asked the question to page 76. You'll find it listed in the middle of the page there when it says, we have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. You might want to read that on page 76. And the next question from Judith, please. Yes. Um, hi, Leah. This is Judith in Vermont. Um, my question is um, on the same tack as the previous one. I just have talked to so many people in OA who, in the ecstasy of having done four and five, burn their inventory before 
they make um, the list an eight. So I was just wondering how you guys um, prepare your sponsees to not do that. <laughs> do you tell them, you know, keep it because you're going to need it? Thank you, Judith. A practical question. Go ahead, panelists. This is Jan. Um, what I is I started with my parents. I wrote down, started with my parents and those things, and then my siblings, and then my closest friends that I'd had, and then I started kind of work from the closest outward. And as I went through the list, it would, would uh, jog my memory, and I'd write those things down, the things that I had done, the, the situations that had happened and stuff. So even if, if you do in burning it, your list and stuff, it, you can start with the closest people and then work outward to the farthest things, to the institutions, to the other stuff, and that might be helpful. Thank you, Jan. Anyone else? All right, I'll take that as a no. Thank you to our panelists this morning, Sharon, Rick, and Jan. Thank you very much. And, of course, to all the answered questions, I'll now close the meeting with the reading from page 164. And it goes as follows. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>